seated. This uh, last uh, Tuesday, uh, we had our election. I'm probably news to you, right? You probably haven't heard a thing about it. Um, I'm, you know, letting you in on the big secret. Election on Tuesday, and then uh, you know, following Friday is uh, is Veterans Day, and, and so uh, this is uh, Veterans Day weekend, and it feels like. With those two things kind of being by each other, it feels like a good Sunday to, first of all, express gratitude uh, that we live in a country where uh, we get to have elections and uh, we get to kind of have a say, and uh, that, that's a part of what we do in this country. And it's also, uh, so if you're a veteran, first of all, let me express gratitude uh, to, to you for, for what you've done, and, and we're grateful. It also feels like a Sunday to just kind of, we're going to talk about politics a little bit today. Um, but it feels like a Sunday to also maybe have perspective that we live in a country where one of the big national kind of dialogues that's been happening is who's going to control the House, who's going to control the Senate, and that there are Christians gathering this very morning all across the globe that their big kind of dialogue that they're having is as we leave today, will the police be there and arrest us or persecute us or um, you know, do terrible things to us. And so we always want to remember our freedom, but also couple it with perspective uh, that, that we, are, we are very blessed to, to live in the country that we do um, and to be able to have a say in our elections. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a great privilege and a great honor that, to, that we get to vote uh, and we get to have a say. So um, now all that being said, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, political uh, identity today. We're starting a new series today called Not Very Christian. And uh, this is a series about ways that are, that, that are almost like Christian, but they're just off a little bit. And I think politics fits into that. So we're not going to talk about politics all three weeks, just, just this first week. And if I have done my job by the end of this message, every single one of you will be mad at me. <laughs> not some of you, every single one of you. So let's Let's pray I do my job. All right, let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, let's uh, uh, get into this topic of uh, political identity and uh, how our nation is just being led astray uh, by this mindset of, of, of having our identity in our politics. And uh, we want our identity to be in you. So I pray that um, you would give me uh, the words to say and that uh, we would be uh, able to, to find our identity exactly in that place, in you, because that, that's where it should be. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about identity. And, and while we're setting up this idea of identity, uh, I was thinking as I wrote this sermon a couple weeks ago now that uh, growing up, I used to just love to pretend. I, I was a pretend kid. We didn't have all those screens when I was a kid. You know? um, and so it was go, go outside and pretend, you know, come back at dinner. All right? um, and uh, that's just kind of how I grew up. I grew up in the country and I, I love to do this. And so my best friends and I would turn my parents' car that was sitting in the driveway, we turned that to the Batmobile, and, you know, I would turn to my friends, and I'd say, you know, hurry, Robin, to the Batmobile. We haven't a moment to lose. I'd be like, wait a second, why do you get to be Batman? It's obvious why I, I do, right? It's my driveway. It's my parents' car. It's, it's obvious, right? Our old picnic table would become uh, the car uh, from Dukes of Hazard, and we'd slide across that thing and get splinters in our legs, you know? 
um, and uh, you know, say the yeehaw sort of thing. Um, our, our sawhorses in the garage would become uh, the van from the A-team, and we'd fight over who got to say the magical words, you know, I pity the fool. Uh, the old barn on our property would turn into a legendary wrestling match between, at the time, Hulk Hogan and Andrea the Giant. And it was, it was just fun to pretend. And pretending is a lot of fun for kids. It's a little bit more serious and less fun when it comes to our identity. And I think some people, maybe you interact with them at work or at school or whatever, some people really don't know who they are at the core of their being. And so they go through life kind of pretending and shape-shifting and becoming uh, what fits the moment. So at work, they're one person, or at school, they're one person. And, and, and when they're with their family, they're somebody else. Or when they're at church, you know, not that anybody here would do this, but when they're at church, they're somebody else, right? And they always have a mask on, hoping that people will kind of buy into the ruse. And that is one place that people find their identity, is just, I'm going to just shape-shift my identity to whatever place I happen to be in. Other people, their identity flows from who their parents said that they were. And listen, we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but parents have a huge influence in, in identity, but a lot of people, their identity gets stuck there in who their parents said they were. So I had a friend growing up, his dad was really hard on him, really, really hard on him. His dad would repeatedly in his childhood call him a loser and told him he wouldn't amount to anything. And he wore that identity around his neck the whole time I knew him. He had a hard time performing well at school. He ended up uh, dropping out and has just struggled in life because his dad said this incredibly cruel thing to him and he allowed it to become his identity. I have another friend whose uh, parents constantly told him how gifted and special and talented he was. And he he wore that identity around his whole life, and he struggles with pride, right? Uh, so parents are huge in developing identity. But that's some people, their identity is just whatever their parents said about them. Some people, their identity flows from their role in life. Well, who am I? Well, I'm a banker, or I'm a mom, or I'm a student. And they can't separate who they are at their core, who their identity is, with the role and function that they serve in this world. And what I've seen happen to a lot of people is they retire, and, or, or they lose their job, or uh, the kids kind of grow up and, and leave the house, and they go through this kind of identity crisis in, in a way, that they're trying to determine who they are at their core when the function of their life has been completed. I think a lot of people find their identity in who the enemy says that they are, that they made a mistake when could be decades back, uh, or they commit a sin and they just go through life wearing that thing around their neck as their identity. And they'll just say things like, I'm an adulterer, or I'm a thief, or I'm a liar, or whatever the, the thing may be. And they wear that as their identity. And whatever I want to land today is that where we are in American culture right now, is that a lot of people are deriving their identity from politics. Um, and we, what we are doing in this nation right now is, you can tell that we're doing this because we identify every single thing as a, as a political issue. So pandemics are political. Spiritual issues like life and marriage are political. Family matters are political. Even in some houses of worship, if you went to those churches today, you would hear more of a political speech than a biblical one. Right? That, that our identity and who we are, it is flowing, I think, too much from politics when it should be flowing from Christ. So I want you to hold on to that just for a minute. We're going to come back to that. And I want to take us back to Genesis 1, the very, very first page of your Bible. And in this story, we see a simple yet profound truth when it comes to identity. And here's the truth. What God calls something, what he says about something, 
is what it is. Simple yet profound, right? What God says about something, what God says about it is what it is, that God gets to shape identity. And you see it all throughout Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 9, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, and but let dry ground appear, and it was so. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock cr- creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. And in chapter 1, you see God establish himself as the creator, and what he calls something is what it is. God is the shaper of identity. And so in chapter 2, verse 7, you see this amazing picture of God pulling together some of the dust from the ground, and he begins to construct this kind of dirt man, this statue-like thing, and as it stands there, the God of the universe bends down, and he breathes life into that statue, and it becomes a living being. And what was true for the oceans, what was true for the frogs, what was true for the stars in the sky, is true for this man and later this woman, what God the creator calls something is what it is. What God calls something is what it is. And this is where true identity at our core flows from. It's not from your parents, although your parents will shape your identity some. It's not from your work role, although that plays a role. It's not from your function in life or or even a sin you committed. Your identity at the core of its being is shaped by God because what God says something is, is what it is. And you see this all throughout. I want to work through a couple scriptures with you real quick. Uh, and I want to work through these scriptures. And I just want you to begin to see your identity in Christ. All right? John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, obviously, your identity is formed by your parents. I had this observation, uh, in part is formed by your parents, I should say. I had this observation of my dad, that my dad did not like his job growing up, all right? My dad woke up every morning, sometimes what, before what I considered to be morning, right? You know, I, I got this kind of thing in my head that like morning starts at five. If you're getting up for work before five, you're getting up at night, all right? So he would get up very early in the morning and he would go to a job that he didn't particularly enjoy because he knew he needed to provide for his family and he loved his family and instilled this kind of identity piece in me that like Higgs work hard and show up, right? And I, I got that from my dad. Now what this text is teaching is that a core part of our identity, if you can, we talked about this last week, if you can begin to wear this around at the core of your being, we are children of God. That's your identity. You are in Christ. You are a child of God, secure in your relationship with him. And we can count on God for provision and leadership and grace, but it also means as a core part of our identity, we're like, I am a child of God, I follow him. I am a child of God, I obey him. I'm a child of God, I go where he leads. He is the father, I am the child, that is my identity. We are children following the father. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you have possessions. And and the thing about the person that has the possessions is that you get to decide how those possessions are used. So let me give you an example. 
you get to decide how many people are living in your house. It's your house. Now, you might have a current struggle with that, some of you, right? Um, you know, I got too many people living in this house right now, right? That might, but you get to decide who lives in your house. You get to decide who drives your car. It's yours. You get to decide who spends the money out of your checking account, much to your kid's chagrin. You decide that, right? This text says we are God's possession. That's our identity. We are his possession. We're his children. We're his possession. He gets to decide in what way we are used. And so he gifts us all in different ways. And the gifts are different for every single person in this room, but the motivation is the same, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And if you're looking for an identity statement that can drive your life, that ain't a bad one. I exist in whatever I'm doing, I exist to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul is saying here is that there is a life lived in the body. And that life that you live in this body certainly impacts part of your identity. When you meet someone, you probably, one of the very first questions you ask them is, what do you do? And you are most tempted to answer that question with the life you live in the body. I work for this company. I am raising this many kids. I am retired from this line of work. This is the life I live in the body. And it's certainly part of your identity, but the overarching piece of our identity, Paul says, is that the life I live in the body, I live by faith. Right? That's the identity, the overarching identity piece of it, is the life I live in the body, I live by faith. So as a parent, I parent by faith. As a pastor, I pastor by faith. As a teacher, you teach by faith. As a banker, you bank by faith. Why? Because we believe in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us. Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sins, to, to our sins. And sometimes you might hear people that are tempted to identify their identity by their greatest regret. And what this scripture is teaching us that is in Christ, the old self, the old sin was crucified. It was forgiven. It was paid for by the work of Jesus on that cross. That's grace. But you know what the scripture also teaches? That because of the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ has given to us, we are no longer slaves to that sin. We receive the Holy Spirit. So we receive grace and we receive power, and you have received both. So we talk about this a lot about here, but sometimes we might be tempted to identify ourselves by our generational sins. The man, everybody in my family struggled with this sin, this sin, or this sin. So I guess I'm going to struggle with this sin, this sin, or this sin. And Paul says, no, no, no. That sin has been paid for on the cross, and it has been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can break the generational sins that have plagued your family. You say, no, no, my grandpa, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, they all did it, so I guess I have to do it too. No, that is not true in Christ. In Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit, and you can break the generational sin that has held captive every member of your family, and you can find new life in him. It's part of your identity. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, part of our identity. We are citizens of heaven. Listen, I talk to you about this quite often, so bear with me one more time. But you'll sometimes hear people wonder, why doesn't God end death and disease and sin? And if you've ever felt that way, you need to understand you are on the same page as God himself. That there is going to be a day that comes when God turns to the sun and is like, enough is enough. And Jesus is going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And our citizenship is in heaven. It looks forward to that day. This identity piece gives us a great perspective on this world. And that perspective is not none of this matters. That is not the perspective. On the contrary, because our citizenship is in heaven, sometimes what's happening here now matters more. And it gives us the perspective of purpose, that we have this core desire to see people come to Christ, to have their sins forgiven, to see their citizenship in heaven. Our primary purpose is not to see a political power take hold. If you thought that's what this election was about, you are wrong. Our primary purpose is not political. Our primary purpose is to point people to Jesus who can change their eternity forever. So it gives us the perspective of purpose. It gives us the perspective of time. Scott handled this so well a few weeks ago, but those troubles that we have here on earth, are, they, Paul says they are light and momentary. And you might be like, Paul, that's really insensitive. People are going through it, light and momentary troubles. Paul, that just seems like kind of a jerky thing to say. And Paul would say, no, no, no. You, when your citizenship is in heaven forever, the 80, 90, whatever years God gives us here, those troubles do become light and momentary. And it also gives us the perspective of hope that we know because of our identity, this is not all there is, that one day Christ will return in all of his glory and he will put to death, death, disease, and sin, and things will finally function the way that they should. We are a hope people. Romans 8, 37. I think I'm almost done. I am, all right with this part of the sermon. Don't get happy, all right? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who have loved us. Your identity is that you are more than a conqueror in Christ. So sometimes these narratives start to form in our head, right? I can't make it. I can't do it. I can't handle one more thing. You ever had those? I can't handle one more thing. And this is reminding us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And through Christ, you can. You more than can, actually. I'm reminded of another verse from Paul. He says, but we have this treasures and jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Look at what he says. We are hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We are perplexed. God, what are you doing? But we're not in despair. We are persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So, we could, I could have done that all day. I, I love doing that with you, working through all of these different scriptures. These are the identity moments of, of scripture. We're saying, remember who you are in Christ. 
You are more than a conqueror. You are people of hope. You are people of life. You are people of Christ. We, we are reminded of our identity all throughout the scriptures. And we are living in an age right now, church, that we are in an identity crisis right now. That instead of our identity being rooted in Christ, our identity is becoming rooted in politics. And so like I said earlier, all of a sudden, pandemics are political. Spirituality is political. Sexuality is political. Marriage is political. Gender is political. Race is political. Health is political. Finance is political. And on and on and on it goes. And it's not that politics don't play a role. They do. It's that politics are not our chief identity. Our chief identity is in Christ. And when our identity becomes purely political, the way that we vote, the party we belong to, the way that, that we, the, the leaders that we follow, when it becomes primarily political, several things begin to happen. Number one, you stop seeing people how God sees them, and you start seeing them the way your political party sees them, and that is a huge problem. Huge that they are no longer, you start to see people, that these are no longer people that need to know Jesus. They are no longer people that need grace. They are no longer people that need to be forgiven. They are my enemy. Because they have a little R next to their name, or the little D next to their name. They are my enemy. That happens when you start to view things through a political lens. And you start to identify, your chief identity is political. Number two. You stop having a heart for reconciliation and you start having a heart for war. Having Christ as your identity, reconciliation and peace is so prevalent in that identity. Reconciliation to Jesus first, of course, but reconciliation to one another second. And as politics becomes your primary identity, that goes away and it just becomes war after war after war. And listen, it's not to say we don't argue for things. Of course we argue for things. But when your identity is in Christ, first of all, the tone changes of the argument because you are remembering that you are a person of peace and you are a person of reconciliation. And so the tone changes when Christ is your primary identity. You also gain perspective on what is really worth fighting for and about. You know when politics is your primary identity? You know what politics will tell you to fight about? What politics will tell you to fight about? Everything. Everything is worth fighting about in politics. But when Christ is your primary identity, you gain this broader and bigger perspective on what really matters. What is really worth arguing for? What is really important? And when Christ is your primary identity, love still finds its way into the conversation every single time. Politics will never lead you to that. Third, you stop having a heart for the nations and you have a heart only for your nation. A political identity will stop causing you to pray for other nations and you'll begin to have a heart of animosity toward them because they oppose you politically. Fourth, you stop seeing sin on your side of the aisle and righteousness on the other side. This always blows me away when I follow politics. That sin becomes completely excusable and understandable when we share the same letter after the name. Completely excusable and understandable. Sin, sin becomes when we share the same political 
uh, political ideology. And a good and righteous idea cannot be accepted when it's from the opposition party, depending on the letter next to their name. So if someone that's a Democrat or someone that's a Republican, however you vote, they might have a fantastic idea. It cannot be accepted. It cannot be accepted because a good and righteous idea cannot come from our opposition. Now, all that being said, I think sometimes people get the impression that I don't think Christians should be political at all. That's not true. I don't believe that at all. We need Christians active and awake and voting and involved in the political system. But I would say a couple things of of warning. I would say keep track of it, but don't obsess over it. Be aware, but don't be overcome. So politics can be like a little bit of a bad drug. You're like, man, I'm going to turn on MSNBC or I'm going to turn on Fox News and I'm just going to get the headlines. Five hours later, you're in a rage. <laughs> right? Five hours of your life, Zippo gone. And if we aren't careful, that political position becomes an obsession and the heart of Jesus, that the heart that Jesus wants me to have gets overwhelmed and overtaken. So keep track of it. Don't obsess on it. Enjoy it but don't love it. It is okay to love politics, and and it is okay to like politics, excuse me. As a matter of fact, one of uh, the stories that my dad used to love to tell is very early on, they were like, Steve, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanna be the president of the United States, right? So I've always been a political kid. I I enjoy it, I enjoy the strategy, I, I like it. Like politics, love the gospel. Love Jesus. Love the cause of Christ. Your love for Jesus will keep your like of politics in check. Politics make a great hobby. They make a terrible identity. They make a great hobby. They make a terrible identity. So let me try to paint a picture. I don't know if I'm going to do this very well. But let me try to paint a picture of what I think this can look like. As a church and community with each other, we are hopefully directly spiritually impacted by what happens in this room. Right? And not, not just in this room. There are other spiritual atmospheres that we have as a church. But I want to talk about what happens in here. The songs we sing together. Uh, the message you hear from God's word in the pulpit or in Sunday school, as we conversate with each other in the hallway after. We want to be a church where what happens in this space impacts you spiritually. And I hope that you are. That means everything to me. That when you you leave here and you're like, man, that song, that happened to us like a week ago. When uh, we came back to church after Cheryl's mom had passed away, we sang a song in here. It's like, oh, That song is exactly what we needed to hear. So a song that you hear, a sermon that is delivered, a scripture that is read. We want this to be a place where you're like, man, you come in here and say, that changed me. The spirit of Christ worked through the reading of God's word, the singing of that song, the conversation in that hallway to convict me and challenge me and make me new. We want in here, what happens in here, to impact what happens out there. So as you leave this place, encouraged and challenged, we hope that the way you work is different. We hope the way you talk is different. 
We hope maybe even the way you vote, maybe you start to see something in a different way. A, a, a position that you thought was political, you now realize is spiritual. We want what happens in here to convict us and make us new and change us so that we politic in a different way in addition to raising our families in a different way, working in a different way, and spending our money in a different way. We want in here to have that kind of impact. What we don't want to have happen is for out there to impact what happens in here. So we don't want our politically obsessed culture to find its way into this space. Why? Well, we are Jesus obsessed. We believe he is the answer. We are grace obsessed. We are gospel obsessed. And so the anger, the disunity, the constant fighting over every single thing, the identity politics, they can have it. <laughs> they can have it. <laughs> we don't want that culture arriving in our church. We want what happens in here that people come in encouraged and lifted up and prayed for and chastised and convicted. We want all those things to happen in here so that we can go out there and have good conversations to politic different, to love different, to serve different. We want in here to, and we, we do not want what's happening. And I even hate using this language. So please forgive this sermon for a minute. I hate us and them, but you understand what I'm saying, right? We don't want the culture to influence the culture of our church. Like I said, the anger, the disunity, the fighting about everything, the identity politics, culture can have that. We don't want that. So, what I just shared with you, we're, we're okay, right? No, I don't see any sticks or rocks or anything. All right. Sermon's not done yet, but we're not there yet. All right, so, this hugely impacts the way I view my ministry, the way I view this church's ministry, the way I view almost everything. So you may have wondered about some things over the years. So let me just tell you, what I just shared with you greatly influences the way that I lead and serve. But what I just shared with you is why we, don't bring, we do not bring political candidates to speak on this stage. We don't do that. There are some very nice, Christ-loving political candidates, I am sure. We don't do that. We don't want people to think for even a moment that a political party is the solution to their spiritual problems. You know what kind of problems politics solve? Political ones, right? Problems can, political problems need solved by a political system. What we talk about in here is spiritual problems, and we don't want people to confuse those two lanes at all to think that, man, if I just vote for the right party, if I just vote for the right candidate, if I just make this decision politically, then all of my problems will be solved. I have been alive nearly 47 years. I am telling you, it will not work. We want to point people to Jesus. This is why we pleaded with you during the pandemic to not become divided from one another. We knew that the high priestly prayer of Jesus was for unity for the local church, and it was so important in accomplishing our mission. So we pleaded with unity, for, for unity with you. And can I just say, you've been fantastic. I'm telling you, I hear, I hear the stories of other churches. 
just torn apart politically because they allowed the anger, the division, the animosity of the current culture to find its way into this space. And we, we, we felt protected by the Holy Spirit from that. We could have been here divided on masks, vaccination, shutdown orders, but we weren't because our chief identity is in Christ, not in a political system. Last point, the one I don't want to share at all, but I saved it for last for a reason. What I just shared with you about up out there and in here and all that stuff, this is why we shy away. We don't do away with it altogether, but we shy away from overt patriotic expressions in our church service. Now, we may play some background music on uh, 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 a holiday. We um, talk about and honor our veterans. Uh, we recognize and love our freedoms. But I know this is the one that bothers some people. And they think it's a lack of patriotism. I, I love this country too. I do. I really do. I'm grateful for it. I don't do tattoos, but, you know, American flag sort of thing. No, I'm, I'm never doing that. But it's a needle problem. But... Um, <laughs> I'm grateful for it. I do not want to give anyone a single, I don't want to give a single impression to anyone that being an American is synonymous with being a Christian. Being a Democrat, being a Republican, being a whatever is equivalent to being a follower of Jesus. Church, hear me. Every, if you hear nothing, they are not the same. They are not the same. And so I don't want to give anybody, hear my heart on it, I don't want to give anyone even a singular impression that I was born and raised in America, I listened to country music, I, yeah, I, I don't want to give that impression. So I, I'm, the Lord and I are just fine. I don't want to give, the way you're fine with God is through the work of Jesus on the cross. We just got done with the Romans series. It is the work of Jesus on the cross, forgiving our sins and making us new. Being American and being Christian are not the same thing. And so we want to point, they're also not total enemies of each other either, but we want to point people to Jesus. And he's a good one to point at because he's the answer. Christ addresses sin. Christ leads us to righteousness. Christ empowers us to help us overcome. Christ will bring us closer than we could ever come on our own. He is the answer, and I want us and our ministry to spend our lives pointing people to him. And so we, the, the, the church a long, long time ago, it's not the fault of anybody in this room, this happened before I was born, but the church kind of messed this up a little bit. And we said, what if we made the definition of Christian an affiliation with a political party? Wouldn't that be a grand idea? No, it would not. You know who profited from that idea? The political party who came up with the idea. Christianity has not been helped by that idea one bit because you're, fight, you, you're, you're fighting over the years that people are like, well, I'm not sure I exactly believe what that political party believes. I guess I can't follow Christ. And it's like, well, 
let's dial up a little bit. Let's get you connected to Christ and his Holy Spirit will work out his stuff with you. I'm a big believer in that. And so pointing people to Christ is the most important thing. And th this is why we wanted to start our series uh, called Not Very Christian, that, that being a Christian is about Jesus. And if you like politics, like it, don't love it. Follow it, don't become obsessed by it. Don't allow it to, hopefully this week, your, your mood has not been influenced at all, hopefully, because Christ is still on the throne. He's still in charge. He's still leading us. And that is a great place to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And I really do, I want to spend my life pastorally pointing people to you pointing people to you. And I am confident, I am confident in you and in your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to lead us to righteousness, to help us overcome our obstacles. I am confident in you to do that. I don't need a, a legal system or a political system to do that. I'm confident in you to do it. And so I know that there are folks out there that have to work out the legalities of everything, and we are grateful for them. We're praying for wisdom for them, praying for our legislators to legislate well, to be impacted by rooms just like this one, and to go into those spaces and make a difference. I, I pray for them to have wisdom. But Lord, we just want to pray a protection over your church right now that we would not be politicized. We would not be divided, that what happens in our culture of, oh God, so much anger, so much division, so much animosity, they can, they can have that. If that's what the political system wants, let the political system have that. In spaces like this one, may we be a people of love, and grace, and unity. And may we have tough conversations when we need to have tough conversations, but may they be peppered with your love and your grace. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. One of the things I love here is every single Sunday, uh, we point people to Jesus in, in this moment. And it's an opportunity to receive uh, some bread that represents Jesus' body on the cross and some juice that represents his blood. And it's just an opportunity for us to spend time with him. And I am confident in his ability to change us and convict us and make us new. And so we want to leave a few minutes for you to just spend time with your Lord. Thank him for his grace. And I'll come back up here in just a minute and we'll receive communion all together as a church family. His body given for you his blood poured out. Oh, Jesus, we are, we are grateful for your work on the cross. We are grateful for the work of your Holy Spirit. May we enjoy this moment of being connected to you. And as we get ready to leave this place, I, I pray that we would be impacted by what happens in this space. A song sung, a scripture read, a point made, a conversation in the hallway that we would be impacted and we would leave ready to love differently, ready to conversate differently, ready to show grace in a different way. May we go leave this place having been to church, now may we go out and be the church. 
uh, and we are, we are grateful for your work in, in this. May um, we be changed by what we see in here and in your word throughout the week and in our prayer life. May we be changed and may we live differently. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, that is it on politics. I don't, I don't, I don't like doing it at all, but I, every, what is it, every couple of years we have one of these. So uh, uh, that, that's it for that. Uh, we're we're going to continue the series next week, and we're going to talk about uh, the idea in the book of James about having alignment between what you believe and what you do, and that we want to make sure as followers of Jesus that we're kind of getting that tension right, that we're taking the right actions based on what we believe, and that there's not a incongruity there. So, hey, love you guys. Go ahead and stand up. Let's sing uh, one last song.